already come to your throne. You've led us there. And we're humbled by your presence, oh Lord. But now, Lord, I pray that you would strip away every distraction, anything that would preoccupy us. And that you would focus our hearts and our minds, open our ears to your word for us today. As individuals, as the people of God. We trust you for this, Lord Jesus. You are the faithful one. The word of God. In your name we pray. Amen. Tomorrow, the most powerful rocket ever to be launched from planet Earth is to be launched at Cape Kennedy, Artemis 1. And it's this extraordinary machine. It, it's designed to take us into deep, Space. Now, I don't even know what that means, but I know it means going to Mars, and then from there, I don't know what it means. And I almost wish that, you know, I was born 10 years ago instead of, you know, 70 years ago, because I want to be around to see what's going to happen in the next 10 and 15 and 20 years. I think it's going to be absolutely astounding and exciting and it's going to be great fun I think um, and this is the resumption of an amazing quest began over 60 years ago uh, President Kennedy had announced to Congress on May 21st 1961 and I quote I can't read it with the same uh, almost prophetic uh, cadence of Kennedy but you, those of you who remember him, uh, you know, just translate my poor attempt. I'm not going to try to be JFK, but you just hear these words um, with his power. On May 21st, he, he said, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to Earth. I mean, it was such an incredible challenge. Now, as we saw last Sunday, the president called for the nation to be all in and to go all out. I'm glad some of you are shaking your head. You, you didn't sleep through that part. That was really good. But for this to have any hope of success, he had to spread this message in such a way that the nation would be captivated by this calling. He had to rally the entire nation behind the vision for there to be any hope of safely landing a man on the moon. In other words, Kennedy was going to have to preach. A nation would have to be converted to accept this challenge. And so reaching the moon became this prominent theme in the president's message. And a great example of this is found in his We Choose to Go to the Moon speech delivered at Rice University in Houston, Texas on September 12, 1962. 
president sketched out the incredible advances of science throughout the history of humanity, marveling that we had launched Mariner 2, the first interplanetary satellite, launched on August 27, 1962. It would fly by Venus three months later um, on December 14, 1962. And you could say, you know, our nation had stars in their eyes. Kennedy appealed to the adventuring spirit of our nation from the Plymouth Bay Colony until the present. And then he began to preach. He said, we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. And the crowd burst into applause. We, chose, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things, not because they're easy, but because they're hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we're willing, unwilling to postpone, and one in which we intend to win. And then he concluded, many years ago, the great British explorer George Mallory, who was to die on Mount Everest, was asked, why did he want to climb it? And he said, because it's there. Well, space is there. And, and, and we're going to climb it. And the moon and the planets are there. And new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Thank you. I mean, if he had issued an invitation, I think everybody would have been right down the front. <laughs> now, the president lived only a little more than a year longer. Assassinated in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963. But he lit a fire under our nation that would not be extinguished. And it was fulfilled in the landing of Apollo 11, July 20, 1969. And what powered the, the crew of Apollo 11 to the moon? Well, surely it was that magnificent Saturn V rocket. But it was also the power of Kennedy's vision and the power of his preaching. He cast a vision that inspired the nation even after his death. Now, the last few weeks, we've been examining the great commissions of the New Testament. Um, in the first Sunday, we, we pondered the great supernatural commission of Mark 16. And we saw the immensity of the calling and used that wonderful picture of earth rise uh, taken from Apollo 8 on, on Christmas Eve of 1968 to illustrate the immensity of the challenge to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. Mark 16, 15. Such a, a commission, it requires a supernatural master, a supernatural mission, and a supernatural message. Ordinary stuff just isn't going to make it. 
And last Sunday, we were challenged by the Great Discipling Commission of Matthew 28 to be all in and to go all out to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Now, President Kennedy challenged our nation, but he did not hold back on what would be required in his speech to Congress on May 21st, 1961. Today, we've come to the Great Preaching Commission in Luke 24, 46 through 48. So I invite you, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 24. If you've, you've got your device, you know, come along. Get to Luke 24. Jesus said to the disciples gathered in Jerusalem, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now this is the great preaching commission. And again, one of the tools that I use in seeking to mine the riches of, of scripture is to identify the repetition of particular phrases and or thoughts within a passage. I just think that's kind of fun. If you carefully read the account, Luke's account, of the appearances of Christ, the resurrection appearances of Jesus, there's a surprising word that Luke uses to describe the impact of the resurrected Jesus on his disciples. And this word is in leading to the fulfillment of the great preaching commission in the preparation of preachers. Now let me take you on a guided tour of the passages. Luke does not mention Jesus' appearance to the women at the empty tomb. He does emphasize the message of the angel. Look what he says in verse 5. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember. Remember this. How he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. So remember this. That's Luke 24, 5 through 7. Now the angel's not just emphasizing the reality of what has happened. The careful reader will notice that in addition the angel is underlining the critical elements for the preaching of the good news. In Luke, the angel doesn't just say, he's not here, he's risen just as he said, as you see in Matthew 28, verse 6. Angel's message contains the heart of the preaching message. Here it is. The Son of Man must be delivered over into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. 
Now, why must he? Well, Scripture said so. Jesus said so. This will be a part of the preaching that will say so. Now, again, notice the presence of Jesus is not emphasized here. It's the preaching. But the presence will come, and it comes in an engaging account of two fellows who are on this, this walk to this little place called Emmaus. Yeah, I pastored a church that said they were Emmaus Baptist Church. I never preached on this passage because I didn't want to tell them they were wrong. <laughs> That's not true. I did preach on the passage. Um, I just said it was Emmaus that they went to. No, just kidding. But it's the preaching. But the presence will come, and it comes in this engaging account of these two fellows. They're on this road, this, this walk, and this mysterious fellow comes alongside them, if you remember. So turn to Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. This is Luke's account of the first resurrection appearance. So during their walk together, initially Cleopas and his friend do most of the talking. When Jesus speaks, he speaks of the prophecies of Scripture. Verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are! How slow to believe all the the prophets have spoken! Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Luke 24, verses 25 and 26. Now, we're not privy to the rest of the conversation, except the summary in verse 27. And beginning with Moses... And all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Boy, I would. Now they arrive at their destination in Emmaus. And they, they invite their mysterious traveling companion, who we know is Jesus, but in the story they don't. They invite him to, to join them. And when he takes bread... And breaks it and blesses it, their eyes are opened. Look what his scripture says, verse 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Now, how did this happen? Did they just open their eyes wider? Did all of a sudden it just come to them? This is Jesus. No. uh -uh. Often in Scripture, you'll find what scholars call as a divine passive. If the grammar is passive, which means something like it happened, then the implication is God did it. If there's not a subject that's given there, if it's a passive, the implication is God did it. So they had invited this stranger to dinner, and they were certainly intrigued by this mysterious guest who had just this incredible grasp of Scripture. But the opening of their eyes was not a matter of deduction. They went, oh, yeah, I got that figured out. 
It was revelation. Jesus opened their eyes. And in a blink of an eye, he was gone. Later, they reflect on the experience and they comment, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And the two hurry back to Jerusalem. They share their experience when Jesus again appears in their midst. And he speaks peace into their fellowship, verse 16, gives them the chance to examine his hands and his feet, and even invites them to, in verse 39, touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And to further prove that it's really him, he eats a piece of boiled fish in their presence. And that's when he elaborates on what he's already shared with his two fellow workers earlier, or fellow walkers earlier. He says, quote, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, so that he might so that they might understand how that fulfillment has taken place. And then in in verse 45, it says, he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Okay, let's look at the sequence. Let's back up a little bit. Sequence in the chronology. First, Jesus opened the scriptures. And then their eyes were opened to his identity. And then Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand scriptures. Isn't that interesting? Through preaching, Jesus opens the proclamation to us. First he opened the scriptures to the two fellow travelers. So what is it Jesus wants us to understand? Well, I'm sure it's a lot. Many try to understand the subtleties of the last days or the intricacies of creation. But Jesus doesn't mention them here. He's very specific. He wants us to be open to some key concepts. And they're found in verse 46. The first is that the Messiah, the Christ, who would suffer, would die, and would rise from the dead on the third day. That Messiah is proclaimed in the scriptures, specifically in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. The resurrected Jesus is the Messiah. That's the role That was anticipated in Israel's scriptures. It's a clear part of the witness of the early church. Now just for a second, look at 1 Corinthians 15. This is one of the great passages of scripture. So if you have any way to earmark something, this is one of them you want want to mark down. 1 Corinthians 15. This is an ancient statement... I think the most ancient that we have in our scriptures of the vital components of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Verse 15, uh, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, this is Paul saying, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, and upon which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance. Now that actually is what I received. That I passed on to you is a formula that was used. Paul saying, I didn't make this up. This was a part of the tradition that was vital to the early church from the apostles on. So he says, what I received I passed on to you is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. What does he say again? According to our scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. Now the first job of the preacher is to open up the scriptures to those people who can hear. Through preaching, Jesus opens the proclamation to us. Through the preaching of the word, we proclaim the gospel, the good news. And we do that because through preaching, Jesus opens our eyes to his presence. Isn't that what happened earlier? Through preaching, Jesus opens our eyes to his presence. Now, here's the essence of the gospel proclaimed by Paul and the rest of the early church. In 1 Corinthians 15, look at verses 3 through 4. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. He says, I didn't make this up. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This was not a last-minute adjustment in the divine game plan. The church from day one has declared this was according to the scriptures. Now, why is it not self-evident to everyone who reads the scriptures? Well, that's a fair question. My best answer is that your eyes must be opened and you must open your eyes. Jesus encounters us in many ways through experiences, through the lives of his followers. But the lens of our experience is the preaching of the word. When we're confronted with the reality of Jesus in the word, then we move to the third key element of the preaching. He opened the word. Their eyes were opened. And finally, he opened their minds. Through preaching, Jesus opens our minds to his purpose. Look at verse 47. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. I mean, that's the heart of the Lucan Great Commission. John the Baptist began the preaching mission in Luke 3, 2. 
During the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. In Mark 1, verse 15, Jesus echoes his cousin John. He too proclaims the good news. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Preaching commission strongly says, repent. In Greek, to repent is to have this completely different mindset. It's to make a 180 degree turn. You're going in one direction and you go, but this is not the right direction. 180 degree turn. But it doesn't just stop there. The gospel is not just about turning from sin, although there's a, certainly it is that. But it's a turning to Jesus. Believing the good news that Jesus offers forgiveness of sin. He can do that where no one else can. And the, the breadth of our sin affects not just the person against to whom we sin, it affects us. It affects the ones we love. Like COVID... Sin just ripples into society as a malignant disease. Only Jesus can cleanse us of that disease and then stop the ongoing sin infections from further devastation. But the good news, this is the gospel, is Jesus can. And Jesus does. In the beginning of Luke's gospel, John preached the message of repentance and forgiveness uh, quote, into all the country around the Jordan. Jesus now declares that this will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Now, the role of the disciples is critical. You are witnesses of these things. They've been with Jesus during these extraordinary years. And they're witnesses of his compassion, his extraordinary wisdom, his winsome wit and humor. Jesus was funny. You have to read it, but he, he has some funny things to say on occasion. They're witnesses of the amazing power when power was called for and the amazing tenderness of Jesus when a gentle touch was needed. They're witnesses, most importantly, of his death and resurrection. That's to be the core of the proclamation that opens minds. Jesus tells them to stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. This preaching mission cannot be accomplished in their own strength. Just like all of the other commissions so far. He tells us to do it. We can't do it without him. The disciples are commanded to stay in Jerusalem and wait. And the power from preaching, for preaching will come from on high. It's the Holy Spirit. The instruction for the preaching will come on high. But they have to have open spirits, open hearts, and open minds. They'll have 
open opportunities. And the Spirit will open their mouths with the needed proclamation at the appropriate time. Now, one of the things I find in Scripture that really hurts my feelings is the word preacher is very rare in the Bible. I mean, that hurts my feelings. Yeah, I... I think that, you know, Paul doesn't list preachers as among key leaders of the church. He speaks of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, but not preachers. Man, that hurts my feelings. I mean, I feel left out. You know what I thought about that, though? I think all Christians are called to preach. I don't think this was just for one or two. I think this is for the whole kit and caboodle. What's important is not so much the instrument as it is the proclamation. Preach on. He speaks of apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, not preachers. Well, I'll get over it. On April 12, 1961, the first man in space, cosmonaut Yuri Gregarian, is reported to have said, I don't see any God up here. Gagarin's feet launched the space race. Gagarin died in a plane accident on March 27, 1968. Later that year, from the platform of Apollo 8 while circling the moon on Christmas Eve, December 24, 1968. The crew of Apollo 8 preached this message to the entire world. Bill Anders, quote, We're now approaching lunar sunrise, and for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. And it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Jim Lovell then said, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And then Frank Borman said, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters, 
called the seas. And God saw it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas. And God bless all of you, all of you, on the good earth. Now you tell me, which message rings with truth? Gagarin's or the Christmas Eve message of Apollo 8? You tell me. Our Lord Jesus was with the Father in the beginning. According to Scripture, He came. He died for our sin. He was raised from the dead. He reigns in glory. He will return one day and institute His reign for eternity. We are His church. He's called us to be heralds of the King. He's called us to preach. Let the word go forth in power for his glory and his honor.